93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. My guest today is Mitski, a great singer-songwriter who put out one of the best albums of 2016, Puberty 2. Uh, she recently played the Pitchfork Music Festival. She's a rising star, really great artist. I was excited to talk to her last week here in Minneapolis, a couple of days after she played at Pitchfork. Uh, we had a really good conversation about her career, her music, and all things in between there. Uh, but before we get to that interview, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week's episode, and that is ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates in all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-find dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com celebration. That's ZipRecruiter.com celebration. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com celebration. So, Mitski came on my radar, I think she came on a lot of people's radar, back in 2014 when she put out a record called Bury Me at Makeout Creek. Now, Bury Me at Makeout Creek wasn't her first record. There were two records that came out before that that she self-released uh, when she was a college student. Uh, but Bury Me at Makeout Creek was her breakthrough. But the real breakthrough, I think, for her, the one that really put her on a lot of people's radar, was her 2016 record, Puberty 2. And it took a lot of the power of Bury Me and Make Out Create, that, that, that sort of intelligent, thoughtful, kind of punky, emo-ish sound that she had, and elaborated it uh, to draw in influences from all sorts of genres, whether it be pop music, R&B music. Uh, there's almost orchestral touches on that record. Um, it resulted in this record that uh, is almost like a pocket symphony <laughs> in a way where you know you, you take a song like your best american girl which was the breakout track from that record and it starts out as sort of like a a strumming song sort of a bedroom lament type tune and by the time it gets to the chorus it builds almost to this aria like song it turns into an anthem right before your eyes um and I feel like that's true of a lot of Mitski songs. She's able to start at, in a really intimate place, really primal place, and then build these songs that just sort of slowly explode out until they achieve this great emotional catharsis. Um, so just from listening to her records, I was very interested to talk to Mitski. And you know, I've, I've seen other interviews with her, and you know, she always came across as a very thoughtful person. Uh, a very funny person. She's really witty. I mean, I think that comes across in her songs too. But uh, you know, if you if you've seen interviews with her or if you followed her on Twitter, she has a real wit to her. So I was excited to talk to her, and thankfully she did not disappoint uh, when we were able to meet up last week. 
and uh, we had a really great conversation. So I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, here is me and Mitski talking together last week on the podcast. Here you go. Are you aware that the Mall of America is right down the street? Mm-hmm. My band members are having fun. Really? I was yeah. going to say, okay, because I do feel guilty. I feel like maybe you'd be on the roller coaster right now if you didn't have to talk to me. No. No, <laughs> this is fine. Um... So they're hanging out at the Mall of America? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like when you're on tour, do you get to do fun stuff like that, or is it pretty tight? It's pretty tight. Well, here's the thing. Oh, are we already doing it? We're, yeah, we're oh, on. Okay. See, this, see, this is the chit-chat part, you know? Oh, you're good. Yeah, we're just, we're just going in. It's like, oh, yeah, just fly on the wall. Um, no, I don't. Well, here's the thing. Even if, Even when I do have time... I end up just being tired, and then so I just want to like sleep or read a book or go to a cafe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, touring is very different from being a tourist. Yeah, I mean, is it has it always been that way for you, or I mean, like when you first started as a touring musician, mm-hmm. was it like, oh, I'm gonna go see America, or I'm gonna see the world, and go out? Like, were you more kind of going out and stuff like that? No, when I first, I mean, when I, when I first started touring, I was sleeping on floors of, <laughs> of like friends of friends of friends houses, playing at friends of friends of friends houses. It was just all about the music. I realized I was putting my music on Bandcamp for like, for two albums and thinking, oh, if I just put it on the internet, people will hear it. Yeah. No, you have to like perform and performing live is how you get people to find you and to listen to you. Um, so I just, it was like, all right, this is what I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to other musicians who got started in a similar way where they recorded first and put stuff on Bandcamp and then they got an audience and then they started touring. And it's like, in a way you have to learn how to be a performer on the road. I mean, was, was that your experience? Yes, definitely. Um, there's a big difference between, um, I mean, I guess this is an obvious statement, but there's a big difference between theory and uh, performance or theory and action, yeah. you know? It's kind of like you can study all about music all your life, but it still wouldn't really fully inform you on how to perform music. Um, and learning how to work with an audience, learning, kind of thickening your skin a little bit, mm. realizing, um, I think what was most important for me was realizing it's not about me, even though I'm performing and yeah. it's my show, it actually has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, touring has made me a better performer and better musician for sure. Like what was, like how long did it take for you to, get that armor on and you know like if people were talking in the audience or something to not take it personally or, or anything like that well there was this period where I kind of intuitively understood that I didn't have what it takes yet <laughs> so when I when I was living in New York City I would like play dive bars and just really shitty places can I swear on oh, this yeah. okay yeah, really run. just like shitty places in New York City three times a week or something and not advertise it just to perform to people who don't want to hear me just like like old guys who look like Bukowski or just (laughs) you know just people who are having a bad day and want me to shut up um or want me to be a jukebox you know and that I think that kind of uh training period I gave myself was actually very helpful um 
Granted that you shouldn't just perform to people who hate you because <laughs> that just doing that also doesn't make you a good performer because right. you also have to learn how to like empathize, empathize, empathize okay. with, with your audience or just like connect with your audience. You shouldn't always have a wall between you and your audience because then that defeats the purpose of a performance. Yeah. You know, one thing I thought was was interesting when I, I saw your show last night, mm -hmm. and it was really great, by the way. Thank you. But an interesting choice was that you played your best American girl in the middle, mm -hmm. and I would have assumed that that would have been like the set closer because that's like kind of like your best known song. Mm -hmm. Is that almost like a conscious decision not to go for like the obvious like crowd pleaser at the end? I th here's the thing: your best American girl is just one of my many children, and yeah. I want to give them all their chance. Yeah. And also. Um, I I think I just think of the, the how the set flows and it just happened that that song just in my mind f made the set flow best if it was right where it was. Yeah, you know, based on what I've read about you, like various profiles, like it's my understanding that you like moved around a lot when you were a kid. I think like you lived in was it like thirteen different countries. I don't know. Something I think like I think like many different numbers have been thrown around that I can't. I don't really know. Several. Yeah. Several different countries. I mean, do you? Because I've talked to other musicians who had a similar, you know, background as kids. I mean, do you feel like that predisposed you to the life you have now, like being a touring musician? Maybe. I mean, I haven't really um, put myself on the therapist couch <laughs> about it, but. Uh, I mean, like, do you tend to get bored if you're in one place? Oh yeah. Time? Well, here's the thing. All my life, I moved around, so I, what I was set on like finding a house, finding a place to live, and living there, and like you know, being one of those old people in a town who's been in the town forever. Like yeah. that was my dream, and having my own house, having something that's mine, was always my dream. And yet, I wanted to make music. And then I found out that you have to tour to make music. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I want to travel for a living. It's quite the opposite. But somehow, I guess, in a way that's out of my control, I keep being pulled towards not settling down. Yeah. I mean, did you live in any particular place for a long time? Like, is there a place you consider your hometown? Um, no, I don't. Well, here's the thing. I feel connected to all the places I've lived. But then if I return there's an acute sense of my being a foreigner. Yeah. So, for example, I lived in Malaysia for three years, and when I was a kid, three years was a long time because I would usually live in a place for a year, maybe yeah. two years. So three years was a long time, and leaving Malaysia was so hard because I just loved it so much. I felt so at home. But I'm afraid now of returning to Malaysia because I almost like, I almost want to maintain that feeling of home there. I want to maintain my idea of Malaysia yeah. and my idea of Kuala Lumpur um, because I know that if I return, I will feel out of place and be a tourist or just be a visitor. Where, what other countries did you live in? Um, Turkey, Japan, China, Taiwan, uh, Prague and the Czech Republic... Um, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, but I don't remember that really because I was a, a baby. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, uh, and I lived in the U.S. as well, and I and I um, I went to like neighboring countries along the way. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about the U.S.? Like, what is your perspective on that? I mean, you said you feel like a foreigner in a lot of places. Do you feel like a foreigner still in America? So here's the thing: when I the f 
the first time I really lived in the U.S., I'd always visited as a kid, yeah. but the first time I was living here, um, I went to an American public school, and it was the toughest fucking year of my life. Yeah. I thought I'd had it hard, you know, being the new kid in every school, and I thought I, you know, I had experienced it all, but being in an American public school was the worst because there's this sense that when I was abroad, I would often be in international schools, I guess. So um, when I I would be different from everyone, there was kind of an there would be an acknowledgement that I'm different because I'm from somewhere else, yeah. or I'm different because I just have a different culture. Um, it, I'm different because I'm part of a different group or part of a different society. Whereas when I came to the U.S., there, was, there wasn't that understanding at all. Yeah. It was, I was different because I'm a weird individual. Yeah. And there wasn't that understanding that maybe I come from elsewhere. Maybe I don't understand, like, the standards that everyone lives by. Maybe I don't. You know, maybe I don't know the same music everyone does. You know, yeah. um, so it I just became this like weird kid that no one would talk to because everyone was weirded out by, and there wasn't a concept of just oh maybe she's different because she's from elsewhere. I mean, do you feel like you still have that feeling, or have you gotten past that? I think so, and it's made me. Um, I think I have a hard time joining groups that already exist. Yeah. I think. Um, um, like I, I have a hard time joining scenes like music scenes or right. art scenes. I think I have a better time kind of collecting friends that I connect with on an individual level and just creating my own kind of spread out community. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I feel like when people write about you too, they use a lot of different sort of genre tags, mm -hmm. you know, there's, like you said, you don't really fit with any one particular scene and yet you could be slotted into, like I've heard you described as emo for mm -hmm. instance, but you don't really feel like you're part of emo, but it could be there mm -hmm. or it could be indie rock or anything like that. I mean, do you in your own heart feel like you're a part of any of those types of things or do you just always feel a little separate? Uh, well, here's the thing. I don't make music in order to fit a genre. I'm sure right. no artist really does. Every artist wants to be different from everyone else. Right. But I was listening to a podcast yesterday, a music podcast, where the guy, uh, the host was really into hardcore, and he was saying how he's not really interested in hardcore that he can't trace the lineage of. Yeah. Um, and so that's very foreign to me. I, when I listen to music, I don't listen for influences. I right. just listen and see what, whether I like it or not. Um, right. And so I'm the same way when I make music. I just kind of make whatever comes up, and I'm not really considerate, I guess, of the very different genres. Um, and I think the emo thing that people say, I don't know, people say I'm emo, and I wondered why for a long time, but then I listened back to like older albums of mine, and I pronounce the... Eyes and Oz, like an emo singer, yeah. like a, and I. The the thing is, like, I didn't. I was pronouncing that because, like, in Japanese, there's a i u e o, mm -hmm. so that just came naturally to me. And I think now, people listen to that vocal, and she's like, they're like, oh, she's 
influenced by that kind of singing. Yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah, that is. When did you start listening to music? Oh, I don't know. Um, consciously, I think in my teen years, maybe like 13, 14. And like, who were the artists for you at that time? I mean, the first album I ever bought, consciously bought, was Mariah Carey's singles album. Okay. Um, so not, not very cool, with a capital C. Um, That's come around, though. I feel like that is cool now, though. To, like, yeah, well, I think, Carey. like, nostalgia is cool now. Right. Um, <laughs> I was really into Jeff Buckley because I was so f- enamored by his vocals, mm-hmm. um, and I, like, would kind of, like, try to mimic his vocals when I was younger. Um, I didn't really listen to rock or punk or anything until maybe like college and like who were the gateway artists for you in that regard you know it wasn't really i think it was all the other uh student bands in my school at suny purchase were punks Mm -hmm. i think or it was just a very kind of thriving punk scene at suny purchase and i think those all those other kids were gateways for me to then listen to their influences or just I so I think that that kind of opened my eyes to guitar rock in general when did you start writing songs um 17 um I was in Turkey and I I was always kind of making up phrases in my head but it wouldn't consciously be like I'm writing a song you know I was just like singing to myself um I didn't I didn't think being a, I didn't think I was a writer. Um, like we were already playing guitar at that time. No, I was. Okay. Pl- I started playing guitar in college. Okay, so you were like thinking lyrics first. Well, I was a pianist first. Oh. Yeah, I always played keyboard. Um, and so, I was seventeen, and I was in Turkey, and I had, I just graduated high school early. I I kind of got to my new school as a senior and realized I had all the credits to graduate from that school, so I kind of went up to the principal and I was like, look, you, I mean, you don't really need me here anyway. Um, And then she's like, okay, no one's ever done that, but sure. Anyway, so I graduated high school early because I was so intent on just getting out of school, but once I actually graduated early, I didn't know what to do with myself, so I had all this spare time on my hands. Mm. And I th- and I was in a foreign country, so I couldn't get a job or anything. I I was actually, um, my one job was uh, doing, uh, um, whatchamacallit, English textbook audio. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would, like, speak, like, see Jane run, you know, I, and, like, see spot run or just that kind of stuff for English textbooks I would that's that was my one job (laughs) but anyway you can always go back to that yeah (laughs) anyway um so yeah that's when I kind of started to sit down at a piano and consciously be like I'm going to write a song I mean were you doing other artistic things at that time not really I was just hanging around and what do you think compelled you? I mean, you said you had these lines in your head, but what do you think compelled you to, you know, take that leap? I mean, because there's lots of music fans, but most of us don't actually start making music. Well, I've told this story on Tumblr before. Okay. But um, I was very drunk um, 
er, early in the morning, I'd say like five or six, I got home and I just plopped down uh, at the keyboard and started banging at it and suddenly just a song came out of me in a rush. I almost couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, and it's it's actually my song Bag of Bones on my first album. Oh. And yeah, that was the first song I ever wrote consciously again. I was yeah. always kind of thinking of phrases, but one unified song, was that was my first one. Um, yeah, and, and then after that, it kind of opened a door wide open just I was like oh my god yeah this is amazing this is what I'm supposed to do and everything in my life felt like it opened up I mean that's the first song you said was on your first record I mean did you feel pretty confident right away that the songs you were writing were good enough to share with other people or like if not how long did that take for you I don't think I was even thinking about that for the first few albums there was just this sense of urgency mm. it's very youthful I think just a sense of like not even thinking about who would listen to it just I need to write these songs because it's what I need to do yeah I mean did you feel that you turned a corner though at some point where you know you go past that sort of youthful enthusiasm and you're actually starting to maybe write something a little more sophisticated or, or deeper. I mean, I mean, was it until like Barry Make Our Creek or do you feel like you reached that before that? I mean, I, I always, I think I was trying to plunge depths um, <laughs> from the beginning yeah. because I was trying to like excavate things out of myself. But uh, on a on a more practical level, I think I started to think of an audience when I started to think of making a living. Yeah. I think it wasn't like I want to become a sophisticated writer because I'm growing. It was more yeah. just like I don't want to make I don't want to do anything other than make music. So in order to make this my real living, I have to think about the fact that people would need to buy my music or come to my shows. Um so that that's kind of what made me, I don't know, start playing shows or just like think of think of an audience. I mean, did you write a lot? Right, like when that when that door opened for you, was it just like a geyser of songs that came out? I mean, did you feel like it came pretty naturally, or what was that process for you? I was never, I was never. Um, there was never a. It wasn't, it's, it's just been flowing consistently ever since. Yeah. I don't, I never try to push it out. Yeah. Because it kind of defeats the purpose in my mind of writing music for myself. Just, I, I write music because there is a sense of urgency or there is a need. So if there isn't a feeling of need, then there's no need for me to write a song. Um, and so... Yeah, I don't, I know, I, it just, whenever I feel like writing a song or whenever it hits me or I, I get an emotion that I know I can express in a specific way, then I, I write it. Yeah. I mean, are you like a, are you writing down something every day? I mean, is it pretty, like, like, do you like type in your phone or anything like that? Do you have lines that come to your mind or does it tend to come in bursts? for you um well here's the thing now that i tour for a living yeah um it's harder for me to write the way i used to because you know i have to be somewhere at all times and also on tour um a lot of people don't fundamentally understand this but you it's like you, you can't 
you have no privacy whatsoever. Yeah. You sleep next to other people, you wake up, you're in a van with other people for nine hours, and then you play a show with them, load out with them, go to sleep with them. Um, and so there is no space for you to... And whenever you want to be alone, you have to go to a public cafe or something to yeah. sit. Um, and I, I, I don't really, I can't really write with other people next to me. And so I end up not really writing music on tour. I would just kind of write down ideas and then try to remember it. And then when I go off tour, I, I, uh, I guess I make, I make a pastiche of of whatever I've collected. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm always intrigued by this thing about writers where, because obviously, I mean, you're not writing straight memoirs in your songs or anything, but all writers are observers of the world, and you use those details in your art. You end up borrowing from your life in your art. And I'm always curious about, like, do you feel like you're able to live in the moment as a writer, ah. or, or is the writer always <laughs> working? Like, if you're if you're in a situation that you know is... Like oh this this could be a good song is is are you able to fully be in the moment or is the writer always working? I think the writer's always working. But here's the interesting thing: I think I was always working even before I was a writer. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how I think, and so finding writing was just a, it is is a blessing, I guess. Because if I had a writer's mind but I didn't write, that would have been a really bad life for me. Um, yeah, I think I was always, even before I consciously knew that I was a writer, always observing things as a writer or yeah. thinking I can use this even, right. even though I didn't even really know what to use it for. Right. I mean, like what sets off the light bulb for you? Is it like does someone, is it like someone saying something? Is it a situation? Yeah. No, I think it's, it's more of a. I mean, I'm sure it's very different for many, uh, you know, for diff for different writers. But for me, it's kind of like an an urge or a very pure feeling. Mm. Um, and I've said this before, but in my writing, I don't try to just narrate what happened to me. My my whole the the point in my writing is for me to express a core emotion that I felt. And so sometimes, you know, if I need a character or if I need a narrative that didn't happen in order to express that feeling I have had, then I then I use that. And so my music is autobiographer autobiographical in that I only write what I actually felt, but what I felt sometimes necessitates a narrative that didn't happen to me in order to be expressed. Right. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a very kind of pure, quiet, just feeling that wells up and I just instinctively know, oh, this is something to write about. I mean, is that ever a problem for you? Do you ever wish you could turn that off and just be totally in the moment and not have that like kind of remove? No, I don't wish I can turn it off because <laughs> it's, I think it's. I've made it my meaning in life, yeah. and it's it's what I feel I can contribute to the world. Here's the thing: before I was a, I knew I was a writer. I felt very lost. I didn't feel like my life had meaning. I didn't feel like I had meaning. I didn't know what I was here for, mm -hmm. and I, 
you know, in, in high school, I graduated early and I was bumming around and it was so hopeless because I, I, I didn't want anything. I didn't want to do anything. I'd, I'd, I was really reckless. I didn't care whether I lived or died. And then I started writing and I thought, oh my gosh, this is something I can give the world and say, this is why I'm alive and this is why yeah. I'm allowed to be here. Um, and so I really actually hope it never goes away because I feel it's like my one thing that I can contribute to the world. I mean, do you feel like it's a matter of like, like you feel like you're, you're, you're seen in your art or is it like, well, this is how I can make sense of my life in art? It's not, I don't think it's that um, conscious or thought about. I, again, there's this sort of fatalism or just this uh, feeling of necessity and I've never really um, pursued I have never really pursued why I make music. It's more just kind of like I I need to do it in order to live. I need to I need to do it in order to um, have a reason to be here. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it so I don't really even think about. I don't know if I really think about um, validation in that way that you described. Yeah. You know, we have been talking a lot about songwriting, but I feel like there's also an element of really kind of distinct sonic personality on your record, especially Puberty 2, where like the sound of the record is as important, I think, in a lot of ways as the songs. And, I mean, you would be broadly described, I guess, as a singer-songwriter, mm -hmm. and I feel like that sets you apart. Like, I just think of the song, like, we'll go back to Your Best American Girl as, mm -hmm. a, as the obvious example. Like, that song starts out with you strumming on a guitar, mm -hmm. sort of a straightforward thing, and then it turns into this like pocket symphony mm -hmm. at the end of the song. When you wrote that song, do you have, like, did it sound like that in your head when you wrote it, or did you write the song and then kind of turn it into that later on? Um, definitely the latter. I turned it into it later on. I think the way I write is that the, uh, the words and the vocal melody is king, is everything to me. Yeah. And the arrangement almost doesn't matter. Well, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that it could be anything, and the song would still exist in my mind. So yeah. I, you know, I grew up moving around. I, I always required a very portable life. Um, so, yes, I had a keyboard in my household at all times, but, you know, I, I couldn't, I guess there was this feeling that I couldn't rely on it and I just had myself. So the way I write is I want to make songs that people can sing without any instruments mm. and songs that, I want to write songs that can exist with only one voice and 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 that's why melodies are so important to me. Yeah. Um, goes back to Mariah Carey. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, a lot of bands write by riffing on a chord first and then building a song on top of it, but I work the opposite way. Chords it, themselves don't even really matter to me. Um, so yeah, once I write the melody, I put chords on it, I put a bass line on it, and then I just kind of think about what would suit the melody best um, but also what I have, what resources I have around me. So for example, Bring Me at Makeout Creek was very kind of punky and distorted and guitar driven. B 
because that those were my main resources at the time. Yeah. And then for puberty too, I moved on to having a lot more kind of electronic instruments, I guess, or just a bigger range of instrumentation because I could be in a studio and utilize whatever was in that studio. I mean, did you are you excited by that? Um having that, having that or I mean I'm not I'm not much of a gearhead actually. Yeah. I don't really care. I mean, Obviously, it's important. I don't mean to say that like I, d I don't care at all about how my music sounds, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it's uh, it's it's okay in my mind for it to be varied. Like, for example, I can hear a violin part in my head, but if I don't have a violin, I'm totally fine with just playing it on a, I don't know, a, a Korg or something. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, do songs go through a lot of different versions then when you're working on them? Yeah, if, if the first version I make doesn't work, then... Yeah. I mean, do they all kind of start out as like a very bare bones thing and then get built? Because, I mean, again, going, I mean, Your Best American Girl as an example, I mean, it, you can almost feel that song mm -hmm. being built mm -hmm. as it goes along. Like, it has a very kind of cinematic feel mm -hmm. in that way. I hear, I, I think I'd, I don't hear harmony as much as I hear counterpoint. Mm. So when I build songs, I think I I look at a melody and I think of another melody that would fit that melody. And again, it's it's not very kind of, it's not very, uh, what's the word? Um, I'm not really thinking about timbre. I'm thinking about the notes themselves. Yeah. Um, and a lot of kind of building the, the music also has had to do with Patrick Highland, who's the producer. Yeah. Um, he has, he's a real gearhead and he, I can like very vaguely say, I kind of want this kind of sound <laughs> and he can kind of make a calculation in his brain and say, okay, and then try it. And you know, sometimes he would make a sound and I'd be like, no, that's not it. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And he'd be like, well, you didn't give me much on much to, to go <laughs> off of. Um, but yeah, so he's also been a big part of like the in terms of the sound itself. Okay, you know, you, you've talked a lot about how you made music out of the sense of impulse, like you just created art in order to, for the sake of creation. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that you have had a lot of validation. I mean, mm -hmm. Puberty Two did really well with critics. I mean, you've been playing bigger shows. Mm -hmm. We're talking on the Monday after you were at the Pitchfork Festival, which. How was that, by the way? That I really enjoy Pitchfork. To, to go on a short tangent, yeah, I feel ahead. like a lot of festivals are very kind of, I don't know, assembly line photo op. And, <laughs> right. But I feel like Pitchfork, I felt like the audience was actually listening. And, you know, I didn't feel like I, I was like rushed on stage and then rushed off. You know, I felt like the people, crew working really cared. I felt like it was very well organized. So, yeah. Good time. Yeah, good time. <laughs> so you have had all this validation, and you know that there's an audience now for your music, and I don't know if you've started thinking about your next record or mm -hmm. writing songs for that, but, I mean, how does that presence of an audience affect you as an artist? And it affects it greatly because now I'm thinking, you know, now that this is my real living, yeah. I think, oh, my gosh, if now if people don't like my music, I won't make a living. And that affects how, I don't know, I can't really tell whether it's truly affected my writing, but it's always kind of like one, um, it's it's always there, that kind of uh, anxiety, I guess, is always there when I'm writing. 
Um, like or, disappointing people? N- no, not really. I think it's, I think there's, uh, I think you've interviewed a lot of musicians, so maybe others have said this, but there's this need to keep it up. Right. Especially because when you're a touring person, it it's very easy to to lose sense of how other people live because it's such an isolating lifestyle. It's so different, and it's you kind of start living on the fringe of society. Oh. So you stop understanding, you stop thinking that you can live any other way. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I don't write a good album, then I can't tour off of it and then touring is my only real source of income so if I can't tour or people don't come to my shows then what will I do you know how will I live because this is my living now that I think that's the great anxiety that comes with validation it's not even that I want people to like me I just it's I don't really care about that in on like a personal level yeah um because I understand that it's not even me they're liking it's my music but that that anxiety of not being able to live anymore. Yeah. Well, how do you get over that? I think, um, well, there's this, I think that, there. Uh, I've said this before, but there is a, a great urge to, because of that anxiety, there's a great urge to um, try to recreate what people have said they like about your music. Right. It's such a strong urge. And then every time I get that urge, I think I purposefully try to do the opposite of it. Um, so it might even be self-sabotaging <laughs> because, it, uh, you know, maybe that that uh, something I thought of is actually good. Yeah. And I'm turning it down because I think other people would like it. Yeah. So in a way, I'm almost like purposefully making something bad sometimes. But I, th- it's important for me to do that so that I, I maintain myself as an artist. Or I, I think I, I think I, I won't be able to call myself an artist if I wasn't in pursuance of something. Well, I, I've only been talking to you for a half hour, but I mean, you seem like you have a pretty strong sense of self. I mean, do you, do you feel like you have a strong core in that regard? That if you do something, you know in your gut it's good and you can move forward. I think so. I mean, here's the thing. I. Like we talked about, I grew up moving around. Um, I I can't identify with any place. I don't belong anywhere. So very quickly, kind of my body became my home. Mm. My self is my home, and yeah. I have. I there's this feeling that I can't rely on anything else, or I can't. I can't. You know, lean on anything else. So I think that really developed my strong sense of self, um, almost to my detriment. Because sometimes I like don't know how to work with people or I just (laughs) it's not that I think I'm so used to saying goodbye all the time Mm. that I almost just make an effort not to connect so that I won't have to say a painful goodbye because something in my brain always expects there to be a goodbye Mm. so I guess that was more training for being a solo artist yeah (laughs) your background yeah have you been writing songs for a next record? Have you started thinking about that yet? Like, where are you at with that? Yeah, I'm always writing songs. I think um, the way I write music is not... I don't write albums thematically, so I 
I put out an album once I have enough songs to make up an album. Mm. And so, yes, I'm always constantly writing, but I, I can't tell you like that I've written an album and I'm putting it out. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So the stockpile is growing. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's interesting because I do feel like your albums, even if they're not conceived thematically, they, they fit. There's a, there's a cohesion to them, I feel like. I think it's because it was all written by one person, mm. and I can't I can't vary as a person very greatly between a, in a short period of time. Like, in a year, I am growing and changing, but I'm still one person. And so it the, the albums I make just kind of consequently end up having a theme because it was made in a specific period of time by one mind. And, I mean, do you like revisiting those periods? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I have to because I perform them every night. Yeah. Um, but I don't, like, I don't listen to my own music after I've written it. I feel like once I've, once I've recorded it, I feel done with it and I'm already bored with it. Yeah. And it's kind of a struggle that with the way the music industry works, you have to then kind of promote your album for the following one or two years. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it, on a personal level too, is it ever hard? Like, like if you associate a, with a particular album with a period of your life, I could see that being maybe not the most enjoyable thing sometimes too. Yeah, it's it is a little. It's I think it's a little hard in the beginning when the songs are fresh, but yeah. I don't try to relive those moments as I perform them. Yeah. I just. I make it relevant to whatever whatever I'm feeling at the moment because everything fades, you know, time heals everything and so I don't feel the same way I did 2 years ago for like ever. Right. You know, I let go of it and I don't try to hold on to it either. So I just kind of uh I don't I again, I don't try to relive whatever I experienced when I wrote it. I just try to make it relevant to myself in the moment. I mean, I know it's early yet, and you're just you're still writing songs. But is there anything in your in the back of your mind where you're like, you know, I haven't made this kind of record yet. This is the record I want to make someday. Or have you thought in those terms at all? Yeah, I in the back of my mind, I always think that someday I'm gonna make an orchestral record. Mm. I think here's the thing: in in college, I had all the resources. I I had you know friends who played violin or wind instruments. And I really enjoyed that, and I, f but I also didn't have the knowledge to fully kind of make use of all those resources. And I think I want to one day go back to it when I have time and actually, um, actually like think about orchestration and the instruments and actually, actually make something that sounds good with orchestral instruments. And like, would you be singing on that, or would it be instrumental? I'm not sure. I mean, probably yeah. I'd be singing on it, but it's uh, also touring is my life. Yeah. And like sitting down and orchestrating isn't part of my schedule. So I I'm thinking in terms of like, you know, 10 years from now or yeah. like when I when I feel done with touring, maybe I'll do that. You tour opera houses. <laughs> you know? Maybe. Rock the opera houses. <laughs> uh, all right, well Minsky, thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. Right, yeah, care. thank you. All right, that was me and Mitski talking about her music, her life, her art. Um, 
If you haven't checked out her records yet, I highly recommend it. I would suggest starting at Puberty 2. I think that is her best record. And then after that, go to Bury Me at Make Out Creek. That's a really good, good record, too. And then seek out the rest of her catalog. She's, she has a lot of music out there. Uh, and you know, I think what's exciting about her is that you can see an artist developing over the course of her records. Uh, I, I feel like she's like taking a pretty big leap with each record. And uh, I'm excited to hear what she does next. I mean, she made a reference to wanting to do an orchestral record at some point, maybe in 10 years or something. Uh, I think she could do it. She's a very talented person. I think she could do a lot of different kinds of things. So uh, it's exciting to see what, what will be coming from Mitski in the future. Um, guys, thanks so much for listening uh, to this episode this week. Uh, I say this every week, and I'll say it again. I really appreciate your support of the podcast. Without your support, without you listening to the show... It would not exist. So thank you again for talking about the show, telling your friends about the show, leaving reviews for us on iTunes. Uh, all of these things are really helpful uh, for helping us spread the word. And another way that you can help support the podcast, of course, is by supporting our sponsors. And our sponsor this week, of course, was ZipRecruiter. And again, if you uh, are hiring and you want to uh, post jobs for free, just kind of try it out. All you need to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com celebration. Uh, that is a special offer for Celebration Rock Pod listeners. So please check that out. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking at you next week.